Like the song says, cause baby, ain't no mountain high enough, ain't no valley low enough, ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, baby. Good morning, good evening, and good night. Whatever time of day you're listening to this, welcome to What Lies in the Dark. I'm Jay Yvonne. All your life, you've been taught that the monsters you fear are under your bed and they're hiding in your closet. As you grow older, you find out that monsters aren't real. But are they? They don't hide or go boo in the night. They look just like us. They even live next door. They're our friends. They're our family. They're our neighbors. And sometimes they're even our spouses. This isn't to scare you. It's to keep you vigilant. Keep your eyes open. It's to debunk the idea that monsters just simply are not real. Statistics say about 50% of victims know their attackers. That means 50% of the time, you shouldn't fear the unknown monsters in the dark. You must be careful of the monsters you already know. Maybe you have to know the darkness before you can appreciate the light. If you're anything like me, you love true crime. You're simply addicted to trying to figure out the who, what, when, where, and the why. The psychology of it all. You sit on the edge of your seat trying to piece the puzzle together before the end of the story. So allow me, every week, to tell you a true crime story. Come feed your true crime addiction with me. Grab your coffee, midday pick-me-up, wine, adult beverage, or whatever you're into. And let's get into this week's story. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Monday and you know what that means? It's time for the family to get together to talk about another episode. I have some exciting news. Well, it's exciting for me. I don't know if it's exciting for you, but we are expanding. So first, please, 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 please Follow us on Instagram because we have an Instagram page now, you guys. The Instagram is W-L-I-T-D underscore podcast. Uh, And also, we have an email account. The email is W-L-I-T-D podcast at gmail.com. The Instagram page will include pictures of all of the cases. I've uploaded all of the cases I've already done and I will continue to upload. Um, so you'll be able to put a face to a name. Um, I got a couple people who asked me to do that. So 
I did it just for you because that's how much I love you. And um, the email is for case suggestions for you to tell me how good or how bad I'm doing, you know, whatever. Just send it to the email. Again, the email is podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow the show on Instagram at WLITB underscore podcast. So tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell everybody. That's how you're going to stay up to date, current, whatever with the show. Anyways, you guys, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like I said, for tuning in for another week, I welcome you if this is your first time and I welcome you back. If you are a dedicated family member, you know, I always have to thank you because this show is nothing without you. And I just thank you for listening, subscribing, sharing, and just I mean, loving true crime enough to come back every Monday and being so excited every Monday to come back. So again, I thank you and um, let's get into the show. So every week I talk about a different type of crime, or at least I try to. Some of them kind of end up being the same thing, um, the same type of crime. But this week, instead of talking about the crime that landed our guest <laughs> um, in prison, we're going to talk about what he decided to do while he was currently in prison. So today, we're going to talk about good old Stephen Russell. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever heard that name before, but if you haven't, Take a ride with me. And if you have, let's get into it. So Stephen Russell was born 1957. He was given up for adoption because his parents were divorcing and his mother didn't want to raise a child out of wedlock. She believed that this was, this was just not the type of image that she wanted to have. So she gave him up for adoption. When Stephen tracked her down years later, he found out that his mother and father had gotten back together, remarried, and went on to have three other children. So for some reason, they never came back to get Stephen. And this made him feel rejected. Even though he was adopted, even though he had a loving home, um, you know, loving parents, he he felt rejected by his, his birth family. Stephen went on to marry and have a daughter of his own. And for a period of his life, Stephen was a law-abiding citizen who volunteered as a police officer, he played the organ at church, and just was an all-around, well-deserved family man. In 1985, the death of his adoptive father shook him to his core. This kind of started his need to make some changes, so he decided to leave his wife and his child. Stephen is known by 14 different aliases. He used these different personas to fabricate bonus credentials and pass himself off as a judge, a doctor, an FBI agent, and a bar student. He's been named the Houdini and King Khan for his incredible ability to escape from prison. Yes, you guys, instead of talking about all the different ways that this guy, you know, messed up and got sent to prison, we're going to talk about his time in the facility. So Stephen claims his life of crime started because he was being discriminated against in the 1990s. He stated that he was fired from his job after his employers found out that he was gay. 
1992, Stephen was imprisoned for insurance fraud. He was sentenced to six months for falsifying a slip and fall accident where he said he hurt his back trying to collect insurance money. Four weeks into that sentence at Harris County Jail, he escaped. He disguised himself as an officer wearing clothes that he'd found. It was said that they were discarded. So he picked up these clothes and a walkie-talkie. Where the heck he got a walkie-talkie from? I don't know. But he put these things on and he made his way through the facility as an undercover cop. He walked right up to the security gate with his walkie-talkie, knocks on it, and they just let him through. No one questioned the man walking around in regular clothes with no ID. Stephen just pretended that he was meant to be there and no one batted an eye. He literally walked right out of the exit. Stephen used his escape to be by the side of the man he loved, Jimmy Campbell, who was dying from AIDS. He had no desire to leave him suffering alone, and the two had been together initially before he was caught and arrested. He spent the time that he had by Jimmy's side until he passed from the disease. He was then rearrested and sent back to Harris County Jail. Stephen met Philip Morris in 1995. Philip was incarcerated for failing to return a rental car. They were both released on parole in 1995 and decided that they were going to start a life together. They were going to spend their time together in Houston. While there, Stephen went searching for a good paying job. He's like, I know I need a good paying job. I need something that's going to give me lots and lots of money because I have a certain lifestyle that I want to live and paycheck to paycheck is not going to cut it. So he found a medical insurance company that he convinced to hire him as the chief financial officer. His resume was padded with references that were all Stephen. He had no experience and was convicted of fraud, but that didn't stop Stephen. In the span of five months, he'd managed to steal $800,000 from inactive accounts to fund cars, watches, jet skis, and even had surgery on his teeth and his eyes. Stephen was found out and sent back to jail as a flight risk. They believed that he was going to potentially try to skip town, and I'm assuming that's because of all the money that he'd managed to get away with. While in prison, he called the court pretending to be the judge presiding on his case. He told them that there had been this grave mistake. Oh my God, there's an issue. I don't know how to tell you what happened, explain it to you, but there's an issue with this account here. And instead of bail being $900,000, it should be lowered to $45,000, which was a much more manageable, sizable number. Stephen convinced them to lower his bond all while he was inside the facility. He posted bond with a check that later bounced. He left prison and fled to Florida before anyone realized what happened. He'd done it all to be with Philip. Again, he was tracked down and arrested. This time, the sentence was much longer. This time, Stephen received 45 years, and he was sent to a maximum security unit in Huntsville. Philip was also arrested for aiding and abetting. 
But Philip's sentence was shorter than Stephen. And Stephen realized that Philip was probably going to be out living this grand old life without him if he didn't find a way to get his behind out of here for another time. So he was like, I can't wait 45 years. I, there's no way on this planet that I can wait 45 years to get released from here the legal way. In 1996, he discreetly stashed green felt tip pins from the prison and a prison uniform. He was said to take these pins and put them in his pocket or, you know, other ways to hide them and take them back to his cell. And then he stashed them in his cell along with the prison uniform. He had yet again planned escape. He would use the ink from the pins to dye the uniform. He put the ink in toilet water, because that's the only water that he had, and he dyed the overalls the color of surgical scrubs. He knew that the guards and the medical staff didn't always know one another. He knew that, you know, they were they just saw each other in passing. So he could disguise himself, make himself look like a medical professional, and maybe they would recognize his face, but not recognize him as a prisoner. Maybe they would just think, oh, I've seen that that face before. They're good to go. So he then taped plastic bags to his body to keep the police dogs from tracking his scent once he escaped. When the woman at the front desk was on the phone, he just walked right out dressed like medical personnel. Even at a maximum security unit, Stephen had managed to just walk right out. Stephen walked to a nearby home pretending that he'd gotten into a car accident and he needed a ride into town. By the time anyone noticed that he was gone and started searching, he was in a bar. Stephen then tracked down Philip and convinced him to go to Mississippi. They thought that they'd move to another state and they could evade the police currently looking for Stephen. Stephen was later ID'd and arrested. This time, he was out for about a year. He was tried for unlawful escape and received another 45-year sentence at a maximum security prison. Stephen needed to figure out a way to escape and stay escape. Like, he needed to figure out a way to get out and stay out. I'm sure he was over planning these escapes, living on the outside for a short-lived period of time, and then being caught. Like who wants to put in that much time and effort and then your plan just gets gone to the wind. Like it's just whatever. He needed to find a way to keep them from finding him. In 1998, he planned his most daring escape. He concluded that the only way that this would happen is if he was dead. Stephen started to pretend to have the symptoms of AIDS. And I'm assuming he got this idea from his first lover. He's like, oh, I know what it looks like to have AIDS. I know what it looks like to die of AIDS. And um, in this time period, the spread and all of that of AIDS weren't as widely known. So that's probably another reason why he got away with it. But this escape would prove itself to be the most difficult. Stephen had to do a lot of research on the symptoms of AIDS. He had to make it look and seem as convincing as possible. Every day he ate little to nothing and took laxatives to look sick. 
This caused his body weight to drop tremendously. He managed to make up health records to show that he was HIV positive and had been sent to be included in his official medical file. The facility never ran their own test. At this point, he was he was at an unhealthy weight and he looked sickly. And his medical records indicated that he was in fact very sick. They eventually labeled him so sick that he was sent to a nursing home to res- to spend the remainder of his time. They thought, oh, you know, Stephen has fooled us so many times. We're finally about to get rid of him. He's just going to, you know, pass away and we won't have to, to worry about this con artist escaping from our facilities anymore. So they just sent him to, um, some people say hospice and some people say a nursing home, but they sent him there thinking that he wasn't going to have... He wasn't going to be alive much longer and they were going to be rid of him. Once at the facility, though, he pretends to be a doctor and he calls the prison as said doctor and an AIDS specialist asking for prisoners that want to be included in experimental treatments. And the only inmate that fit the need of this experiment was Stephen. Stephen was sent to this made-up study, uh, able to yet again walk out to his freedom. After a few weeks, Stephen sent a death certificate to the prison claiming that he died, even though he was very much alive and well and on his way to be with Philip. Philip was, however, in prison himself. So the prison is like, okay, wait, he has fooled us so many times and he is a con artist. His resume states con artist. Let's check into this. So they're checking into this because they don't want to be fooled again. I'm sure there was probably plenty and plenty of media coverage. Like this guy has found a way to exit prison multiple times and the facility just keeps letting him walk out. They didn't want to be the butt of the joke anymore. They didn't want people to, to think that they were just super lax with their security. So they checked into this death certificate. While they're doing that, or at the same time they're doing that, Philip's in prison as well. So Stephen makes up an attorney bar card to orchestrate Philip's release. Stephen calls the unit, pretends to be a judge, and he says that Philip has a bench warrant in Dallas. Stephen disguises himself as an attorney and then goes to visit Philip. By the time anyone goes to see Philip, he is already gone. In March, Stephen creates another persona. This time, he's a millionaire from Virginia. He's attempting to legitimize a $75,000 loan, and this makes the bank extremely suspicious, and they notify the police. I'm assuming that during the notification of the police, this is when they're like, yeah, this death certificate is not real because Stephen ends up in custody. Stephen pretends to have a heart attack and instead of going to a prison is transported to the hospital where he's put on security watch. And of course, Stephen doesn't know how to stay put. He doesn't, he has ants in his pants. He's like, nah, mm-mm. I can't, I can't, can't be at the prison. I can't be at the hospital. Anywhere that I'm confined, I cannot be. So he impersonates an FBI agent, calls the hospital and tells them that he can be released. And yet again, he's just able to walk out. Police find him in Florida, April 5th, where he is yet again arrested. 
Stephen seems to have the ability to transform himself and go unnoticed. He doesn't claim to be smarter than the police. He says that they believe that all criminals are dumb and they're unaware of the potential dangers. Stephen's escapes were never violent. He claims that he didn't break out. They just opened the door and let him walk through the front gates. Stephen was convincing at taking on different personas because he sounds like he knows the terminology. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about. And he says it's kind of like acting. He has managed to escape from prison four times in the span of five years. And every time, even though he manages to outsmart authorities, he's caught because they always find him with Philip. His desire to be with the person that he loves is the reason, his, his Achilles heel, it is the reason why they continue to keep finding him. Stephen says he was out of control and did what he did to be with Philip. He is quoted saying, it's about what a person will do, who is in love, who can't see the forest for the trees. Stephen is currently in solitary confinement at the Poluski unit, isolated in a cell except to shower and exercise. He is serving an 144-year sentence, 99 years for the multiple escapes, and 45 for the scams. There are petitions going around that says that this is, this is, the sentence is unfair for what was actually done. They're like, he didn't do anything violent. They don't understand why he has so much time. Um, and I mean, the sentence really is just because he has fooled and embarrassed the prison units in Texas by continuing to escape um, through being just a very good, very well thought out con artist. And I just honestly feel like if he didn't have such an attachment to being loved and being wanted and wanting to be with Philip, he possibly could get away with it. But every single time he is caught because they track down Philip and Philip is how he is is found out. Um, if Stephen Russell's name or Philip's name rings any bells, it's because there is a movie called I Love You, Philip Morris, um, that stars Jim Carrey. Um, that is, you know, obviously loosely based on his time in prison after the first initial escape. Um, it is about uh, the three escapes that he did all to be with Philip. I don't know, guys. I, I know this is kind of a short episode. I just thought this was really crazy that, um, I mean, he was obviously a con artist from day one trying to con the um, insurance company. But nevertheless, how he was able to escape multiple times. Like no one thought like, okay, listen, like may, okay, maybe the first time, maybe you get out of here the first time for, um, no, actually the first time to me, each one of these times should have been found out before he was able to walk out. Like, how do you just let somebody in plain clothes and a walkie talkie with no ID walk out of a unit? Like, and I understand it's, it's the 1990s. The security in the prisons isn't as tight knit as it is now, but come on now. You're telling me that you just let people walk around in plain clothes in a facility and no one's asking any questions. No one's batting an eye. No one says anything. They're just like, yeah. 
Okay, you look official because you have a walkie-talkie. I mean, where'd you get the walkie-talkie from? But you look official. You have on regular clothes. You're not in prison uniform. You have an, uh, an, a walkie-talkie. Obviously, you don't need to be in here, so see you later. Like, that should have been... He should have been caught before he was able to walk out. Somebody should have been checking credentials before he was able to walk out. And then time number two, when he is... Well, not time number two... Uh, the second thing that I feel like should have been figured out immediately is this job. Like you call all these references and they're giving him these grave reviews. That's wonderful. But what in his resume says that he deserves to be a CFO? Like what, what job experiences did he have that says that he has experience to do these things? And as he's working, y'all not seeing, I mean, I, y'all not seeing this money being transferred. Y'all don't see this money moving. You know, y'all don't see that maybe he's, he came in and Walmart and Target closed because he's a criminal, you guys. He wasn't making any money before this job. So y'all not seeing that he coming in in like regular, regular clothes. And now all of a sudden he has like lavish outfits and he's living the life, got new cars. Like, no, no, you just think that he's just doing such a good job and y'all are paying him so gravely that, you know, oh, he can afford it. Like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't. Uh. This is like that that other story I was talking about with the con artist that pretended that he was part of the Rockefeller family and the show that I was telling you guys about on Netflix. I don't understand how people just ignore, to me, red flags. How are you able to walk in, like I said, looking plain, and then you're now coming in here looking like a million bucks and we don't pay you a million bucks. So I'm trying to figure out how that wasn't caught sooner than later. But then after they figured it out, how the heck from a prison were you able to call the clerk at the court and say, hey, there's a mistake. His bond is too high. Lower it. Like the the, the phone call didn't say, um, what does it say now? Uh, now receiving a call from such and such unit. Do you accept? I don't know what the real wording is, but like that, it didn't ask like collect call or anything. It was just like, hey, let me talk to so-and-so. And then like you didn't check to me. I mean, I know there are so many judges, but you didn't check to make sure that like it lined up. You don't even have to check all the judges in the circuit. He called pretending to be the judge over his own case. When you were looking at it, lowering his bond or just doing some investigating, the names match up. I'm, I mean, it just, I don't know. I feel like that was a red flag. Like there should have been some more investigating because how many judges are just calling saying, Hey, listen, for some reason there's an error. There's too many zeros in this bond amount. So let's lower the bond amount with no real, no real explanation, no real nothing, just lower it. And then apparently he collected money from friends and, um, I guess had a faulty check bonded his little stuff out of jail or out of prison and then flew to Florida. Y'all, this is time number two that he's, he's tricked you. And yet, and still, I mean, you, I get it. You don't want to be the butt of a joke. So like 45 years for, you know, fooling us but like at some point when were you going to punish yourselves for being that gullible then the 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 fine tip pens and the uniform um like i don't know what color the uniform was in 1996 i don't know if it was white and then he used the pens to make it green but 
whatever it was, there's no way in my opinion that he could dye this the right perfect shade of green to make it look like medical scrubs. It had to be off. You, I mean, I get it. Like you're not paying that much attention to know that his green isn't the correct shade of green. It's grass green and it's not, um, I don't know. I can't even poison ivy green. Like I get it. Like maybe you weren't paying that much attention, but I just feel like it can't be that great of a dye job in a toilet in the jail with some pins. Like he's smart, but he can't be that smart. And then, you know, yet again, doesn't have an ID, no credentials, nobody checks anything. They just let him walk his little happy self on out the jail because he looks like he's medical staff. And then the, I mean, I can't fault the person that he went to see, but the person who gave him a ride, like you didn't ask any questions like, sir, where's your car? You said you got an accident. Where's your car? How'd you get here? Cause it says that he hiked to the person's house and told them that he'd gotten in an accident. So like, you know, you don't want me to call, I don't know, 911 Hold on. Let you don't even need to call 911. Let me call 911 cuz I got to get you some help. I'm sure he didn't look like he had been in an accident either. Um so like, you know, we're going to be helpful but not helpful. We're going to take him to a bar cuz what the bar going to do for him? Like they can't give him any medical attention. Um they can't fix his car. What's the bar doing? And again, Texas is like, "Listen, you fooled us three times at this point." you're not going to do it again. So another 45 years. That doesn't even fit the crime. I get it. You're tired of him escaping. But at this point, he has two 45-year sentences for escape. Obviously, he didn't want to serve the initial six months that he got the very first time for the insurance fraud. Um, he, he obviously doesn't want to serve two 45-year sentences, Texas. Just, I just thought I should put that out there. Okay. Anyways, so then the last time, okay, the last time, more red flags, right? So I'm doing this story and I'm like, okay, um, I get that you don't know all the signs and the symptoms of AIDS. It's it's still new. We're still learning. I'll give you a learning curve there. But how the heck did this man have access to his own official medical records? And then when you receive documentations that basically say like, add this this new ailment to his his medical history, you're like, okay, it didn't say like from the jail, what is it like property of such and such or the address of the jail on the forms? Like I just, I'm really, I need more details here, guys. Like I, I tried to find these details, but I just, I need more details. I'm trying to figure out like where we weren't doing no checking because how did he get these medical forms sent off to be included that the forms didn't say from the prison of, from the handbook of, from whatever property of Stephen. Like you just, okay. And then we don't, we don't certify any of this information. We just going to go with whatever you say. Like you, yeah, you say you got HIV. Cool. You got HIV. So they don't run any tests. Um, I get it. He looks sick. His medical records say he's sick. He's not eating. What, it, what can you do? But like, don't run your own tests. Don't verify for yourself that this man is really sick. We just gonna go off. Like who, whose name did he write on the medical forms that everybody in the facility and everybody who received him was just like, oh yeah, we trust this person. We trust that Dr. So-and-so knows what they're talking about. 
even though this is a new epidemic, we don't know nothing about it, but we just going to trust that so-and-so knows what they're talking about. Who signed off on that medical release? So then he's so sick that you're like, oh, he's going to die soon. We're going to send him to a hospice or a nursing facility. And then you didn't find it suspicious that once there, you get a phone call from a doctor saying that they're running this experimental treatment for the treatment of AIDS. And the only person, well, first off, that they're calling you probably the first time they've ever called you about such a thing. Um, but the only person that fits that description is the person who won't stop conning his way out of prison. That didn't make any, there was no red flags going up. Like, oh, wait, hold on. He has managed to escape here multiple times. Maybe we don't send him on that experimental treatment for AIDS. Or maybe we check into it. No, we're just, we're going to send him anyway. Then the man yet again finds a way to forge medical documents and sends death certificates to say, oh, oops, I'm dead. I died. Don't look for me. And like, yeah, y'all did a good job. Y'all, y'all searched. I was like, no, we're not going to let you fool us again. But at this point, he's already fooled you twice over because he fooled you to believe that he was sick and he fooled you to send him to a hospice center and to a treatment facility. And then Philip doesn't know how to leave well enough alone. Like, what? You're you're still trying to con, even in the midst of a huge con that could pop, fall apart and rip at the seams at any point in time. Let's go try and get a $75,000 loan. Because, you know, if that is said, if that if we find out about it, you know, whatever. I don't get it. What were you thinking? What I, mm, you couldn't have just been dead or you couldn't have just been lived life underground. Most people who con their ways out of things like jail and prison, con their ways into jobs, they don't do things to put them front and center, like trying to legitimize a $75,000 loan, Stephen. Like, I, I, I don't know. And then, and then, and then, and then, okay. So you get caught again and they still don't have you on their radar because you're able to impersonate an FBI agent from the hospital. What FBI agent is calling from the hospital saying, oh yeah, release him. Why? Why are we releasing him? And why are you calling me from a hospital? Why are you not calling me from your headquarters? You know what, Mr. FBI agent, send me your credentials. Yes, I need a fact. I... I don't know how many times I have called just regular people. Like I've called my bank or I have called, um, I'm just gonna use my bank. I've called my bank and asked them to do something for me and they want me to send my credentials. I'm just not sure how me as a regular, regular person who has nothing in her account, nothing. And I don't mean I'm broke, but like, I don't have hundreds of thousand dollars in my account. Why do I have to verify my identity? But little Steven who continues to con his way out of prison, doesn't have to verify that he's really an FBI agent and you just release him again. Yeah, y'all make it make sense. Texas, we, we kind of fell in here. Kind of, um, if you was given a grade, I think, um, F wouldn't even do good. If that, that's not even a good enough grade because we failed tremendously. Mm, I think that's all I have. I think that's all the grading that I have for Steven. 
I also read a couple of interviews where um, Stephen is talking about the conditions that he is facing now that he is in solitary confinement, which obviously are very inhumane. Um, he spends little to no time with any human interaction. Um, he says that because of the food conditions that he has gained so much weight because he doesn't have the ability to kind of get up and move around that he also has like hip and back problems. And I know a lot of people don't care. A lot of people think, okay, you did the crime, you do the time and it doesn't matter what happens while you're doing that time. But, um, he has gone on to do a couple of interviews um, talking about how he's been treated while in the facility, especially while in solitary confinement. And like I said, there are petitions going on um, basically saying that the 144 year sentence for him just outsmarting the prison systems is um, is inhumane. So that is the end of today's episode as you can tell, I I don't understand con artists. I don't. I don't understand how people let people con them. Like anytime I get anything like I mean like emails or anything, it's like, oh, you won. I don't trust anything. Maybe that's the reason why I don't understand cons. Like when I get an email that says like there's the potential of gaining this amount of money, I immediately question every part of the email. I'm looking at the email address. I'm looking at where they, what they want you to do, where they want you to go. I question everything. And I know that's not necessarily what's happening here, but I guess that's the reason why I don't understand con artists. Cause I don't understand how you walk up to somebody and you give them a story and no one checks for the, um, legitimacy of your story. They just, no fact checking. We're just going to go off whatever you say. So I guess what I'm going to leave you with today, guys, is some um, fact check. That sounds like the two words for the day. Fact check. You know, WLITD family, I always have to leave you with some words of advice. And that's what I have for you. Fact check. Because um, there are always snakes in the grass. There are always wolves in sheep clothing. Fact check. So that's all I have for you. I know I keep saying that, but I'm gone for real. So um, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's con artist story. Shout out to you, Stephen, for conning the Texas prison state, Texas prison system four times. And then everybody else that you seem to have con. Obviously, you're extremely talented. And yeah, somebody, they actually should probably put you on payroll to figure out how to um, eliminate people like you. Like, cause I, I know there are other criminals out there who get put on like, you know, CIA, FBI staff to help them keep other people from doing what they did. They probably need to add you to their, their list of employees. Cause you seem to be really good at convincing people. Um, I've, I, like I said, I watched interviews and like he, has a way of trying of, of making people believe him because he seems to know what he's talking about so anyways um 
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please like, share, and comment. I love hearing from you. Like I mentioned earlier, we now are official, you guys. We have an Instagram and an email account. So please go follow us on the uh, Instagram. It is WLITD underscore podcast. And the email is WLITD podcast at gmail.com. All right, you guys. Well, it's a mon- another Monday episode out i'm gone i love you remember to love one another be kind to one another watch out for the snakes in the grass and the wolves in sheep clothing um and remember to pay attention to what lies in the dark i'll see you again next monday for another episode to help feed your true crime addiction bye